So um, we'll be talking for a few minutes about our Philippians reading. And I want to begin first by admitting that um, there's a part that Paul says there that really grates on me. It's right at the beginning of our reading, uh, which starts in verse 6. When he says, do not, I mean, I'll paraphrase, do not be anxious about anything, but offer it all up to God in prayer. Thanks. I mean, it's about as effective, I think, as, as going up to somebody who's really upset and saying, hey, calm down. Um, that just it doesn't work. Um, anxiety is kind of a tricky topic, too. But I, I think we all, at least at this point, kind of understand that, that it doesn't, it, it's not quite that easy. It's not easy as apparently Paul is trying to make it, at least. And when we talk about anxiety, um, broadly speaking, like, there are a few categories we have to deal with. Because there's, uh, on, in some circumstances, what Paul is saying actually makes a lot of sense. Like, there are times in my life, I, there are people that I've encountered where they have been so racked with anxiety, and, and as you kind of listen to it a little bit, you start to realize, oh, what you really want is control over everything, and that this is just not going to work. So, to be perfectly honest, if you just spent a little time praying and then realized you had no control, life is going to be a lot easier for you. Like, that is definitely the case sometimes. But then on, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, you, you, we've come to see anxiety also potentially as a medical issue. Uh, and that's a category that Paul did not have. So that means we've got to do some kind of translating where um, things, uh, you start to become anxious and reactive over certain things um, to the point that you can't control it. And it starts to consume you, and it starts to direct like your habits and harm your relationships. Then this is an issue between you and your doctor, to be perfectly honest. That's kind of its whole other thing. Um, we're not going to deal with that category, because that's not really what Paul is talking about. But if I can like pigeonhole anxiety into two different categories, then I think we can start to I don't know, maybe understand Paul in his own, on his own terms. Um, in one broad category, and I'm sure there are loads of categories, but we're just going to put them all into two. In one broad category of anxiety, um, I think we could also just call them inconveniences. Things are happening in a way that we don't like, and that bothers us. Um, I'll give you an example. This morning, I woke up, and uh, the heater in my house is no longer working. Now, I, uh, my wife and I are first-time home buyers. We've had this house for a few months. We don't know how to... I mean, you, I can't call the landlord. I'm the landlord. Uh, so we're, we're kind of in this weird space where we're trying to figure out, like, so who do we call for this? And I went up in the attic, and I've sort of narrowed it down. It's an electrical issue. The heater itself is fine, and blah, blah, blah. But man, these are, there, was, there were some anxious hours today. 
because this is all new. I have no control over this situation. I don't know what to do, at least not immediately. And it's, you know, it's weird when you're kind of going through something that's on unfamiliar territory. Now, at some point during the day, probably way after it should have happened, I start to realize, okay, Eric, you've you've encountered things before that you own that you can't fix. And what did you do? Well, you eventually figured out who you needed to talk to or who you needed to call. You're going to be fine. A little chilly, admittedly. But we have space heaters. We'll be fine. And at that point, you start to realize, oh, this isn't a big deal. It's annoying. Yes. It... uh, kind of takes me out of control of a certain aspect of my life? Yes. Do I really need to be anxious about it? No. We're just going to take it as it comes. That's one category of anxiety. The other category of anxiety would be when something happens that is, in fact, a big deal. These moments are rare. These are the catastrophes in life. I'm currently, uh, as a pastor, walking through uh, with a couple of people, um, like some very, very potentially serious diagnoses. And should they be concerned? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have, uh, because this, this could be really bad. Those are different from these. However, the way the human brain is wired, uh, anxiety and stress tends to shut down our abilities to think creatively and think rationally. And so we're in these little moments that are really just inconveniences. Um, They tend to take over our brain and tell us these are, in fact, the catastrophes. And a whole lot of maturity is trying to figure out which is which. Is the heater that stopped working a catastrophe? No. Is a catastrophic diagnosis a problem? Yeah. Paul is not writing from the perspective of inconvenience when he says to his Philippian brothers and sisters, don't be anxious. Paul is in prison at this point. And I fall kind of into the the camp of of New Testament scholarship that puts this letter as late, probably or potentially one of the last letters he wrote. If you read it carefully, you get a sense that he knows that um, he could be executed at at any point. Um, At the very least, he is going to trial with that potential. He's been in prison for a while now. And prior to him writing this letter, uh, he was running out of food and support until Epaphroditus, who appears in our reading, shows up with money and food from his brothers and sisters in Philippi. I would argue that potentially impending execution, uh, being in prison for many years and potential starvation, these are big deals. These are legitimate catastrophes. And yet Paul has 
shall we say, the gall to say, hey, but don't be anxious. Lift everything up in prayer. So what drives him to be able to say that? Well, Paul has done his entire career traveling around the Mediterranean world and getting in fights and accidentally starting riots and everything else with this announcement that God's Messiah, his chosen one, Jesus of Nazareth, has come to rescue Israel. Only, it's not just Israel he's rescuing, it's the entire world. And not only is that surprising, but this Messiah was executed at the hands of the Roman Empire, which was never supposed to happen. And it turns out that it wasn't just like an execution, like something happened here that changes who we are. Like it's not just a guy that died, but if you're in him, then you die with him. And then absolutely out of the blue, God raises this man from the dead, which nobody saw coming. And he ushers in this new era of being human, what we'll call the kingdom of God. This new creation forms, and, it, and it's, it's forming within these communities of believers who are gathering around, starting to spread all throughout the empire. Paul has been doing this for a while, and so he has perspective. Some of the least anxious people I've met have perspective more than anything. But I, I don't think it stops there because uh, as, as Paul not only has this, this perspective of this, this amazing cosmic story that he has been charged to spread around the world, uh, but he is also paid for that. He has been beaten um, he has been left for dead. He's been betrayed. He's lost friends. And some of his letters, at the, especially towards the end, he'll, uh, he sounds a little sad because he talks about people that have deserted him. He's endured heartache. He was shipwrecked. He's gone hungry. He has suffered. He knows what the big things are. And when he starts bringing those kinds of things together, as, as he starts talking through this uh, in the second half of today's reading in, in Philippians, he says, I know what it means to be brought low and raised high, to go with and without. Like, look, I get it. All I care about is Jesus. And with that in mind... Um, I think it makes a little more sense that he would say, don't be anxious. Because he's been there. He, he knows what it's like. And the encouraging words of somebody who's gone before you and experienced what you experience now weighs way more than somebody who has sit, sat on the sidelines and not gotten involved. Paul has that wisdom and experience. And so I, th I think it's no coincidence that at the end of this letter, um, 
It becomes just a letter of pure gratitude. But it's a gratitude with perspective because he, he's saying, you know, thank you for the gift, thank you for the support and all of that. But then, I don't know if you caught it, he also says, but it's not like, I mean, the sport's great, but what I want is the fruit from that. In other words, to my fellow Philippian Christians, your generosity, for which I am very thankful, is now part of this story of God renewing the earth through his followers. That is perspective. And it's rooted in gratitude. Uh, One thing I have observed in people is that some of the most resilient people I've met uh, tend to be uh, the ones that practice gratitude. The ones who express thanks and understand generosity. And so I would commend that to us. It's Thanksgiving. We gather around, we eat a lot, we spend time with our families and friends, and it's usually good fun. It's also a time to sit back, or step back rather, and practice gratitude. Knowing that this is not, um, this is not just a thank you, but as Paul, as he's writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ, this is part of a much larger story. That the God that Paul served, this Jesus, that we are in him too. That the story of a ragtag group of people in Philippi sending some money and food to a man who may or may not be dead in the next month or two uh, is actually part of our story as well. And best of all, that the man from Nazareth who died and was raised from the dead is our story fundamentally. May you have a happy Thanksgiving. May you enjoy your time with your family and friends. Practice gratitude. And more than that, practice gratitude with the perspective of the gospel. Amen.